Hello, I'm Dr. Tracy Hogan, and as a licensed counselor, I've had the privilege of helping people for more than 25 years. I'll help you get to that sweet spot between the best psychology has to offer and the best spirituality has to offer. Today's podcast is about how a book helped me solve three huge problems. Four years ago, I had problem number one. I was about to lose $40,000. It was my down payment on a house right on Ochre Lake. Problem number two was, at 62 years of age, I was single. Problem number three was my weight. None of the guys I was attracted to were asking me to dance. I've always struggled with my weight, but when you're single, there are big consequences. So let me interrupt my story to ask you, are you thinking of a big problem that you've tried and tried to solve? My three were causing me a lot of heartache and grief. I decided, okay, I need to figure out how to get more of God's help. I knew if I would ask, he'd tell me what to do to make myself strong, to find a solution. This is one of those life tests, a test of faith. So I read this quote by a man who's a consummate problem solver. He solved some real doozies. His name is Russell M. Nelson, and he's the prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I know some of you who are listening, my beloved neighbors and friends, are not members of this church. So let me put this into context. The Book of Mormon, Another Testament of Jesus Christ, is a record of a people in the Americas whom Christ visited. Now, you don't have to believe in the Book of Mormon to get inspiration from God on how to solve your challenges in life. That's not what I'm saying. That's okay, because this was my answer. I'm telling you about this so you'll see how the best of spirituality can really help you. So you'll be encouraged to get out there and get answers from God and solve your big problems. Russell M. Nelson said, I promise that as you prayerfully study the Book of Mormon every day, you will make better decisions every day. I promise that as you ponder what you study, the windows of heaven will open and you will receive answers to your own questions and direction for your own life. And here I'm going to apply that last sentence to myself and reword it. I promise that as you, Tracy, daily immerse yourself in the Book of Mormon, you can make progress. You can get answers. You will solve your big problems. You will get the mortgage and get the house. The windows of heaven will open and the angelic man will float down dressed in clouds in a beam of light, like a Renaissance painting. Or maybe he'll come on a beam of data from the LDS dating site. President Nelson said, to feast means more than to taste. To feast means to savor. I needed to feast and savor. I wasn't feasting my scriptures. I was grabbing a handful of peanut M&Ms for lunch as I raced to my next appointment. I was wolfing down scriptures, inhaling them quickly without stopping to think about them or how they apply to me. To savor might mean to meditate and ponder and just slow down. So I made a big commitment and I started on September 11th, 2019. And instead of trying to multitask while I curled my hair and listened to scriptures on the way to work, 
the way I feasted was to just sit at my computer and read along with the Book of Mormon until I found a scripture that just was so good it jumped out at me. Then I, A, highlighted the scripture, B, used the note feature to rephrase it in my name and in my words, and C, answered the question, how does this apply to me? Here's an example, 2 Nephi 32, 2. After ye have received the Holy Ghost, ye could speak with the tongue of angels. And now, how could ye speak with the tongue of angels, save it were by the Holy Ghost? Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. Wherefore I said unto you, Feast upon the words of Christ, for behold, the words of Christ will tell you all the things that ye should do. So A, put in my name, Tracy, if you will be worthy of the Holy Ghost, you'll have the power to do the things you need to do and say the things you need to say to solve your biggest problems. B, how does this apply to me? The words of Christ will tell me what to do to find a mortgage company that will give me a loan so I don't lose my house. And I need the tongue of angels to help me say the right things, to do the best things, to find and marry a great guy. The builder was building my dream house right on the running trail of daybreak with a gorgeous eastern view of the Wasatch Mountains. But like I said, I was going to lose it. The builder's mortgage company said, you can't qualify for a loan. Your income comes from rental properties and your private counseling practice. We only give loans to people with W-2 income. Oh, I felt sick to lose my money and my house. That's when I begged and pleaded for help. Little bits of inspiration started to come, usually about 5.30 in the morning. First, I decided to ask the people at my current counseling job to make me into a W-2 employee. With that, I felt some inspiration to try my old mortgage company who I'd done five other mortgages with. But he said, your income isn't high enough and we can't count your income from your rental houses because they're not on last year's taxes. Nobody is going to touch your loan. The house was almost built. They said they couldn't hold it any longer. My daughter, who's an interior designer, had helped me pick out neutral colors. This house I was building had a lovely transitional style. The inside was peaceful and harmonious. The view was breathtaking. I ran past it every day and checked on the progress. It was just making me sick to think about losing it. Then another inspiration came about 5.30 in the morning, just before I woke up, and that was to ask the people I went to church with called my ward to pray with me and fast with me. And that means go two meals without eating, which we do once a month on Sunday. And after that, I remembered a guy I used to date who had a friend in the mortgage business. I went to this place and they were able to count my income from my rental properties and I got the loan, and I got the house. I couldn't believe it. I was pinching myself when I moved in. It was such a tender mercy to get that beautiful house. I was so grateful. Now, number two, single at 62. This one was a lot more difficult. I was married for 40 years, and it didn't work out. There I was, single at 62 in Colorado. My four single friends and I would sit on the back row of our Sunday women's meeting and we'd all get a picture of a guy on our dating app called Mutual. And the deal is, if you like what you see, you swipe up. 
and then you get to start a conversation. But there were so few members of our church to date in Colorado, the four of us would have to negotiate who got to swipe up. That was so we didn't undermine each other and compete. I said to my friend, well, you got that guy last week. Yeah, she'd say, but he was a dud. He wasn't even divorced yet. Dating was pretty bleak in Colorado. So I got this inspiration about 5.30 in the morning. I should pick up and move myself to Utah to find a husband where there are more members of our church. 45 years ago, when I started dating, I went to a lot of church dances to find good guys. The young men were so attractive with their thick hair and flat stomachs. But after moving all the way to Utah for these dances, I walked into the dance looking forward to finding good guys. Oh, my goodness. Gravity had not been kind. Hair follicles had given up the ghost. And there were huge problems with the beards. All the hair from the top of the head had migrated down the face, and that had really made men look older. There were different lengths of these gray beards. Professor beard, lumberjack beard, and oh, the worst, the longest, wizard beard. This is the honest truth. I drove an hour down to Provo to a dance because Provo and Brigham Young University used to be my happy hunting ground, right? Oh, they were great dances with lots of really attractive, available guys. But oh, no, no. I paused at the door to assess the situation before I paid my five bucks. The people looked like they'd come from the assisted living center. One whimsied guy with a yellowed wizard beard was frozen at the refreshment table. I was thinking that maybe rigor mortis had set in. I felt nauseous and turned around and raced back home. Okay, yeah, I get that I'm supposed to love these older guys the way Christ loves them, but that doesn't mean I have to dance with them or kiss them. I might run into dentures. I prayed and felt impressed to try the younger guys. I met a younger guy online, and we met for the first lunch date. Wow, I could tell that this man spent time in the gym. After lunch, he said, okay, now let's go make out in the park. I said, what? I'm new to dating here. Is this the way dating is done in Utah now? Ah, We got there, and he was way too frisky. That's an interesting experience. On one hand, it's so fun to be wanted and it feels so good. But on the other hand, I had to grab his face and sort of yell, hey, keep your hands in this safe zone right here. And I pointed to my belly area. So for the 45 minutes, I'm batting his hands away. Too high, too low, too high, too low. I I was kind of loving it, but also trying to get him off me. At the next dance, I was telling a guy about this wrestling experience that kind of traumatized me. And he said, was his name Jeffrey? I said, oh, yeah. He said, oh, no, that guy has a reputation. He brags he can get any woman in the sack after the second date. Oh, no, I said. That was a narrow escape. Then I felt the shame, you know, like it was my fault and I was to blame. Finally, I stammered, but I really want to marry someone who inspires me to be better. Where do I go to find guys like that? Tell me, how many single male members of the church are keeping the Ten Commandments? He said, 
Oh, well, good luck with that. I've read that about 70% of us are sexually active. Oh boy, I thought, I'm hosed. Sabotaged by the fact that men can have seven to eight times more testosterone than women, even in their 60s. Sounds like to find someone who follows the Savior and actually bridles his passions might be inconceivable. So I set this goal to find someone who was all in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, like keeps the commandments, spiritually born of God, and instead of dragging me down, inspires me to be better. These younger men all seem to be financially decimated from divorce. We had a relationship with a man for five months who was five years younger. We were kind of shopping in Costco close to the wedding rings, and he put his hands on my shoulders and gazed into my eyes and said, you know, I'm poor. I've been married and divorced four times. Each divorce decreases my net worth by half. I don't have a drop of retirement savings. Could you marry me and could you also buy your own wedding ring? I might be able to pay you back in a few years. I guess I was thinking he was so attractive that love would conquer all. But the numbers just didn't add up. After this experience, my son said, Mom, you gave me a lot of good advice when I was dating that you seem to have forgotten. Where is your spreadsheet where you give points for the qualities you really want and then you total up the points? I said, oh yeah, I kind of did that with him. My son said, well, you've got to change. This time you need to have minimum thresholds. You know, there has to be a point where you can say, I can't marry someone who's deeply in debt and has the lowest credit score the banks have ever seen. High points in one area can't compensate for low points in another area. So financial self-reliance became one of my minimum thresholds. It was so sad looking for a husband. These single people had really been through some tough times, just some really critical, vindictive ex-spouses. I really had my hopes up for this big summer dance in the mountains. I met a guy who was a spry, handsome 55-year-old. As we were dancing, he learned I was a counselor and started telling me about his aggressive ex-wife and how she dragged the divorce on for three years to get more money from him until she had racked up attorney fees, which he had to pay in excess of $275,000. He said, I'll have to work till I die. But it's worse what happened to the kids. She's turned them all against me and they won't speak to me. Then he started weeping on the dance floor. The poor guy was just so traumatized, but I thought, hmm, I'm not at work. This is a dance. I've just spent five dances listening. I make my living doing this. Finally, I said, I'm so sorry. I can't dance with you anymore. I don't think you're ready for dancing or dating quite yet. You need to go to a counselor not me, who will give you the train wreck divorce discount. So I set up a minimum threshold for emotional stability and emotional availability. Someone who had already worked through and healed a lot more of their heartache and divorce baggage. I kept praying and felt impressed to try for guys with whom I could communicate with. I've always loved discussing ideas and learning I met this cattle rancher. I thought, oh, I love plants. I love flowers. I love gardening. Maybe cattle rancher would work. He said he only had read one book. It was a philosophy book in his life. 
So I read it and I tried to discuss it with him. He could not do it. He accepted that book as gospel truth. It's like the book was in concrete in his brain. He got irritated when I tried to bring up different ways of thinking and looking at things in the book. He finally said, oh, I get it. You think you are just too edumacated for me. To find guys with whom I could converse intelligently, I put some test questions they had to answer on my profile on the dating site. And I met this tall guy with beautiful white hair who had graduated from Stanford with a PhD in history. That sounded like a big bonus. Oh, I thought this should be good. You know, they look so good online, that profile. So you really get your hopes up. I thought maybe this could be the one. So we met for lunch. For two hours, he talked about the evolution and firing capabilities of the musket in infinitesimal detail. He never showed an iota of interest or asked a single question. If he had absorbed any social cues of boredom on my face, he might have noticed that my eyes were crossed up into my brain and I could see him sandpapering my frontal cortex. After that date, I set a minimum threshold for intelligence, that they must be interested in me enough to ask questions and discuss ideas. So time is going past. I'm still praying. I'm still trying to follow up on every prompting. I go to every dance. I try to be proactive on the dating side. I spend hours every night. I start getting the idea I should try the older men. They're starting to look a lot more handsome by comparison. So I met a successful retired attorney who lived on a gorgeous house with an exquisite view. He owned a powerful sports car and drove it way, way too fast on the freeway. I said, I can't ride with you unless you let me drive. No, he said, you're too slow. I'm driving. It wasn't just fast driving. It was wobbly driving because sadly at 74, Parkinson's was setting in. When he drove, his hand shook, and he only had one hand on the wheel, and when he would look over at me, his hand would shake the wheel and the car would drift over. He said, why are you covering your eyes, and why is that guy honking at me? Well, it could be because you wove over into his lane. And that was it. So I set a minimum threshold of physical health, healthy enough to drive safely. It was a tough market. It seemed like every guy I met had at least one big issue, way below my minimum thresholds. Some men had three big issues or six. I'd try and make it work, try to compromise. It just wasn't working out. Lots of weekends alone, discouraged, wondering, is this ever going to happen? Am I ever going to find anybody I want to spend eternity with? Lots of disappointment. I went everywhere, every activity, every dance. I spent so many hours on those dating sites. I pretty much fulfilled every impression that came into my mind. And the trouble was I couldn't complain. I was so blessed to at least get to meet men and go out. I'd see these wonderful, valiant singles who were doing everything right. Some of my best friends that were trying everything they could and were still single for years and years. After a few years of dating, and maybe a year and a half of applying the scriptures to myself, 
I'd learned so much from listening to the Spirit and trying to obey. I was walking into my 45th high school reunion. In the parking lot, I prayed, Please, God, if there's anyone single who is spiritually, financially, and emotionally self-reliant, please let me meet him. And I felt really humble, and I said, And it's okay if he's even bald. And the first person I met in the door was Jerry McMillan, who I went out with three times in high school and two times in college. Mac, I call him, whose wife left him 12 years previous. Mac, who has beautiful hair and a beautiful soul. Mac was still flying for American Airlines in Texas, and I was in Utah, so we decided to study our scriptures together on FaceTime. The program is called Come Follow Me, and we studied a couple times a week the New Testament, and we applied the scriptures to ourselves. In the process, I heard all his experiences, and he heard mine, and I stopped dating the rest because he met and exceeded all my minimum thresholds. In fact, he was 127 points ahead of everyone else. Six months later, he was my best friend, and I could not help but love him. I bet the brethren had no idea Come Follow Me was such a dating app. So, because I immersed myself in the Book of Mormon, my prayers were gloriously answered on problem number one, the house, and problem number two, the husband. Problem number three turned out to be more stubborn and more difficult than I could ever imagine. My weight. What I had been doing to draw close to God wasn't nearly enough for this problem. But that's a story for next week, part two. Well, that's it for today. And until next time, live like his son, help others on their way.